the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The primary responsibility of the church is to seek and save that which is lost. That's our mission. That's our call from God. And indeed, our call is His call. That's what we're focusing on today, how to go about making this call happen, here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. This is the ministry, the radio ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner. Hello and welcome to our broadcast. We're continuing our survey of Luke. We're in chapter 6, looking at verses 12 through 16. One final installment in our little mini-series called The Sovereignty of God in Preaching. And indeed, that is the primary call of each and every church. The way we go about wooing and pursuing, seeking and saving that which is lost is to proclaim the good news or to preach the good news. And that is where the sovereignty of God is found. Join us for a very encouraging look at the call of the church as it relates to our ministry in this world. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. The apostles are not only the doctrinal foundation of the church, the apostles are the organizational foundation of the church. How does the church decide how it is going to be organized? Does the church bring in some whiz-bang managerial consultant and say, okay, now here's the newest trend in management. Then we have a power seminar on managerial principles and we govern the church based on their new ideas. Well, That is what some churches govern themselves by. But that is not the way a faithful church governs itself. We depend on the apostles to show us our organizational foundation. How the apostles organized the early church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the way we want our church organized as well. But it's not because the apostles were all that brilliant. Understand now, these things didn't originate with the apostles. Some of these apostles were not the most brilliant men in the world, like some of us. In fact, sometimes you see that some of them could be pretty dense people on occasion. But the point is that what they taught while they were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, did not originate with them. It originated with God. And that's why the Bible says that the writings of the apostles in the New Testament and the prophets of the Old Testament are God-breathed. That is what Timothy 3.16 means when Timothy says, all scripture is inspired of God. And the Greek word for inspired of God means God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. It all originated in His mind. And that is just as your breath originates from none other but you, no matter how close someone else may be standing or sitting to you, 
The Bible originated not with men. It's not apostle-breathed. It's not prophet-breathed. It's not man-breathed in any way, shape, or form. It is God-breathed. The Bible did not originate in the mind of the men who penned it. It originated in the mind of God. Therefore, the writings of these apostles form the foundation of everything we believe. Anything we believe about anything, we must and we are going to compare with the foundation of the church. And we are going to make sure that the church is organized according to the way the apostles of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ said it should be organized. Now, turn, if you will, to John chapter 17. And let me show you another verse where in Jesus' high priestly prayer to his father, he mentions again the relationship of his church down through the ages with his apostles. John seven sixteen. Here John mentions the men that he chose, the twelve apostles, and he says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And they have kept thy word. Now look at verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, that is, these chosen apostles of his, of course, excluding Judas Iscariot, but for them also, which shall believe through their word, that they all may be one. He says, Lord, I not only pray for my apostles, but I pray for all those down through the centuries to the end of time who will ever become members of my church. That is, true Christians, through the word of the apostles and the prophets. There's no other way to become a member of God's church. There is no other way to believe in Jesus except to come to him through the word of his apostles. So faith in Jesus Christ has, as one of its absolute necessary ingredients, faith in the apostolic witness, faith in the word of the apostles, so that down through the centuries, the church is comprised of all those who believe in Christ through the teachings of the apostles. Now, do you know what that means? It is just another way of saying that the acceptance of apostolic doctrine is the very essence of the church. Now, that probably seems so normal and right and true to most of you here at RHC, that you probably are out there wondering why I'm even making such a big deal about it. Well, I guarantee you, that in most of the churches in the South Belize, in the South Bay, that is, that is not those who believe. You go to most of the churches in the entire San Francisco Bay area, and you will find that it doesn't really matter what you believe in order to get into the church. You can believe just about anything you want to believe. You don't have to believe the Bible is the very word of God or that it is all the truth. You barely have to believe in Jesus. What matters is that you are a seeker of the truth, whatever that may be. It really makes little difference what you believe. You can count yourself as a child of God and as a member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Whereas the Bible clearly says, if you are going to become a Christian, there is a certain set of doctrines you've got to believe. And if you don't believe that set of doctrines, you can't call yourself a Christian. Now, I know that runs cross-grain, beloved, with the church in the United States in the 21st century. But there is a certain body of doctrine you've got to believe to become a Christian, and you've got to submit to. You may not understand them all, but you've got to believe them and submit to them as the rule and authority of your life, or you cannot become a Christian. Jesus said, those who believe in me through their word. So that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ involves faith in and submission to the word of God of the apostles in the New Testament and the prophets of the Old Testament. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 3.11. According to the grace of God which is given to me, and this is Paul speaking, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another build thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth, for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, do you notice how all these things are beginning to blend together? Paul said in Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, The church is built upon the foundation of the apostles, with Christ being the primary support, the chief cornerstone. Now, Paul says, I have laid the foundation for you here in Corinth by preaching to you the word of God and that foundation which I have laid as a holy apostle in preaching the very word of God is Christ. And there is no greater foundation that a man can lay than Christ himself. So, to say that the apostles are the foundation of the church and to say that Christ is the foundation of the church is to say the same thing. Christ is the theme and the message of the apostolic testimony. What did the prophets of the Old Testament preach about? Christ. They were his mouthpieces. What did the prophets and the apostles of the New Testament preach? Christ. They also were his mouthpieces. He told them as he sent them out, when they hear you, they hear me. When they reject you, they reject me. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they were his mouthpieces. It was as if Christ himself was speaking. So when the Bible says that the foundation of your life is Jesus Christ, that he is big enough to support your life as well as the life of the entire church until the very end of the world, the Bible can also say in the same breath that the foundation of the church is the Apostles, the writings of the apostles, which are the very words of Christ himself, are that which gives the church power, sustenance, nourishment, joy, faith, hope, even salvation down through the centuries. And if you're going to become a member of the church, you better know apostolic doctrine. By the way, beloved, the only people God loves is the church. You say, where did you get that, preacher? Well, I actually told you earlier in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There is no one in the entire world 
that Christ loves as much as the church. It's his bride. You know, you can say concerning yourself that you love everyone in the world. But you better not love everyone in the world as much as you love your bride. You better have a special love for her that you don't share with anyone else on earth. Or you're going to find yourself in trouble, gentlemen. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has a love for his bride that he does not share with anyone else on earth. So he builds this temple, this household of those whom he loves upon his foundation. The apostles and the, and the prophets. But then did you notice how the figure began to change in our text? You've got the figure of this foundation and all these bricks set upon the foundation. And then all of a sudden the bricks start to grow into each other. They become alive and this whole temple starts to fit into each other's lives. This is a beautiful blending of metaphors in which you must not miss the point, beloved. The Lord Jesus Christ is the life of his people. And they are a living and loving community. And when you are built upon him, when you are built upon his word, when you are built upon submission to that word, then not only does he build a great church where he dwells, but you begin to fit into each other's lives. And you're molded more and more into one unified and complete church. Now let's look at Acts 2. Beloved, I'm trying to impress you with the indispensable nature of apostolic doctrine in the New Testament. And since the apostles put their imprimatur on the Old Testament, the Old Testament as well. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayer. There you have true apostolic succession. Roman Catholicism believes that the pillar of the church is the apostolic succession of persons. And that the only true church on earth is that church that can document a historical succession of popes. From the present pope all the way back to Peter. Now, besides the fact that this cannot be documented historical anyway, because at one time in the Middle East, there were three men claiming to be the Pope, and they were all rivals against the, one another. The emphasis of Scripture is that the true church is that which can trace a succession of apostolic doctrine. If you can trace the doctrines of your church all the way back to the teachings of the apostles in the Word of God, you know You've got a true church. And the more consistent the views of your church are with that apostolic doctrine, the purer your church, the truer, as it were, your church is. But if your church cuts itself off entirely or even in a major way from apostolic doctrine, like some of the once great denominations in America, such as the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America, 
and the Methodist and various others, then you cannot consider yourself to be a true church at all. But instead, to use the words of the Westminster Confession, you have become a synagogue of Satan. Now, I'm not simply telling you this because I consider this myself a fascinating subject, which I do hope it is to you as well. I do so because the subject has vitally important implications that we must never forget. Once we believe these things, we will be careful how we speak of the church. Even with all of its flaws and all of her warts. If you have someone over for a cup of coffee, or like me, you go to Pete's Coffee to meet someone... You cut down the church with little love in your heart for the church to actually correct it or reform it, with no concern that she return to her roots. But you take delight in bad-mouthing the church and pointing out her flaws. You are then bad-mouthing the bride of Christ. You husbands, what would you think if you went into a restaurant and there were some people, they're bad-mouthing your wife? I mean calling her every name in the book, making everything Dennis Miller says about Nancy Pelosi sound like a compliment. Are you just going to sit there and say, oh well, who really cares? No way. You're going to come to her defense. And if they don't stop, they will regret blaspheming your wife. I'm telling you this. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, who has built the church upon himself and his apostles, does not take it lightly when people go criticizing Reformed Heritage Church or any other true church of God without love in their heart and without using the standard of Scripture for their criticism. And the criticism that takes place must be in an effort to bring the people of the church and its doctrine into greater conformity to its foundation. Now, have you sat back and bad-mouthed the church or its members and thought it was just a light thing? No, No really big deal. Well, I'm here to tell you, you have sinned grievously against the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't expect him to bless your life until you cry out to him in repentance and forgiveness. And anyone you have bad-mouthed the church too. Don't expect God to bring any blessings in your life unless you go to that person and ask for his or her forgiveness for shamefully criticizing the bride of Christ built upon Christ and apostolic doctrine. Now this doesn't mean some of your criticisms aren't worthwhile. This doesn't mean that the church or any other church is perfect because there is no perfect church. And those of you who know me know why. Because it became imperfect the minute that you and I joined it. What does this mean? What this means is that if the church is built upon the foundation of the holy apostles with Christ as the cornerstone, and if this whole structure to the end of time is filled with the glory of God, you better be careful, beloved, what you say about the church. And if you know about flaws and failures in her, do as you do towards your husband or towards your wife. Now, why wife 
knows all of my failures. Many of you know my failures because the more visible a person is, the more visible their sins are. And Krista knows way more about my sins than you do. But does she go around the church and gossip about me? No, she protects me and does whatever she can gently and lovingly to help me. Now, there are all kinds of things about the church that the Lord Jesus Christ built upon apostolic doctrine that you could criticize because we are all sinners. But do you know one of the most glorious and loving and one of the most Christ-like things you can do is to keep silent? Unless you believe the problem is serious and then you take it to the elders and if you are in a conversation with someone and they are bad-mouthing the church, say, hey, don't talk about my mother like that. Because, you see, anyone who has God as their father has the church, the bride of Christ, as their mother. You know, if a person doesn't repent from bad-mouthing the bride of Christ, he may be plagued with all kinds of tribulations in his life. So be careful what you say about the church. And if you have legitimate and loving concerns for her, bring it to the elders. Beloved, they are the only ones that can truly do anything about it. Otherwise, be still. Beloved, I'm trying to impress you with the fact that the church is a very special thing. There is no other institution quite like it on the face of the earth. The church is a holy thing. Though God has created several institutions, such as the family and the state, there is nothing he loves as much as the church, not even individual families. God loves to hear families worship him in their homes, but it is nothing compared to the joy he feels when he hears those families together at church singing his praises as one. There is nothing he loves more than his church. The church is a special thing. And therefore it must always be treated and thought of and felt by us as a special thing. As a temple growing together, filled with God's Spirit, built upon the writings of the apostles and prophets. With Christ himself being the main support of the entire building. And beloved, this should not only make you appreciate the church and love her. And be willing to die for her and be willing to stake your reputation for her but it should also make you love and stand in amazement of this book. This book is the foundation of the church. This is what all I have said is getting at today. It is so complete in everything God wants us to know that from the first century until the end of time, God need not say anything else to his people until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. He doesn't have anything else to say. Not because God has run out of new stuff, but because the Bible is so perfect and the Bible is so complete and because the Bible is all-sufficient and all-embracing. It is able to thoroughly equip a man of God into every good work, and it is such a perfect foundation.
that it can hold up the entire church and give direction and instruction and counsel in every situation to all the members of the church down through the ages to the very end of time. So when someone comes to you and says, I have a new word of God for you, you say, brother, shut your mouth because I will receive no insults to this all-sufficient word. This is all I need. This is all I need. This is the very word of God, spoken through his prophets and apostles, and forms the very foundation of God's true church with Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior, as the very pillar that holds the entire structure up. Is there anything else you need? There is no greater or stronger foundation in all this world. Now, take this word, the very foundation of everything you must believe, and then attempt great things for God. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Grace.